Hello, you're very welcome to Purple Psychology Podcast. You're here with Melanie Hoskin and, of course, as always, uh, Dr. Nisha O'Reilly. Hello. Hi, Anisha. Today we're talking about perfect children and, you know, um, how, in particular, how parents speak to their children in terms of the voice they use. This one goes back a few months. Um, I was uh, in a cafe. I spent a lot of time in cafes. There was this dad who really got at his daughter for having a smudge on her face, which didn't really seem like a big deal, but he made a real issue out of it anyway, and he made her go to the bathroom to wash it. And she couldn't actually find the smudge on her face because it was actually gone by the time she got to the bathroom. And then she was really worried about the fact that she couldn't find the smudge and that she hadn't cleaned it in order to keep him happy. And he, then he decided that it didn't really matter. And if it didn't really matter, why did he make her get up during her dinner and go to the bathroom to clean the smudge off her face? So there, that's just an element of the sort of kind of... It's kind of, well, it's been termed helicopter parenting, where people, where parents hover over their children constantly, and they're constantly checking them for everything, and there's constantly something wrong, and you constantly haven't washed your hands, and you've got dirt on this, and, you know, kids are kids, like, they get dirty, and they get messed up, and they don't have to be perfect all the time, Mm -hmm. so there's just, I've just seen so many situations like that, where people are trying to force their children to be perfect mm. um, and to not do anything wrong. And I think that then what happens when when you... Because usually they're quite young when they're doing that. They're like three, four, five, six. And by the time they get to ten, like they're terrified of making a mistake. They won't try any of my exercises for me because they're constantly checking with me as to what I want. They're real people pleasers. Um, there's a real sense of, I'm not going to be able to do this well enough for you. I'm not going to be perfect enough. I, I can't make a mistake. And making mistakes is a, something that you learn in the environment and that you don't have to be perfect all the time and that there's nothing wrong with being wrong. And then there's also the element, which that really young kid was doing, where people seek validation then. Because she came back to seek validation that she had done whatever it was right mm. and that she got rid of the smudge off her face. And because she wasn't able to get off the smudge off her face, then she wasn't going to be able to get validation from her dad. And that was huge. Mm. And, and so I, I just watched these crazy situations that, that parents create for their kids. And I, I, don't, I suppose, I don't know what, what's driving it. It's, um, well, I don't know. There's this, this sense of kids having to be perfect all the time. Do you think maybe parents see their children as an extension of themselves um, and, and therefore should be kind of the same? Yeah, I read a really interesting quote in a book last week about that. Um, we we automatically want our children to enjoy the worlds that we create for ourselves. Mm. It's always a really great line. Um, mm. So that there is an there is an element of that, and maybe there's an element. Well, I suppose it's habit. Maybe somebody brought them up like that, and they had to be perfect all the time. And m- may- there just seems to be a sense now that kids don't go outside, play outside, get really dirty. Um, and there's actually been um, an article not that long ago on the fact that children are not exposed to enough dirt and enough germs, and they're actually getting sick mm. because they're not exposed to enough dirt. Mm. Like. How many times do you see new parents with the whole package of baby wipes, hand wipes, um, and this obsessive cleanliness? Mm. Whereas I certainly don't think that that was an automatic kit for most mm. parents years mm. ago. Mm-hmm. If there wasn't the obsession with you constantly being cleaned. Yeah. Do you think the parents um, create a, a strategy of um, controlled 
situations or ways of coping with things because they second guess themselves so much. I think that's a big part of it. Like I, I think there is definitely an element of control in their mm. behaviour and there's an element that unfortunately that they've adopted in their brain that being a good parent equates to controlling your child at all times mm. and making sure that your child is perfect. So could it be too though that, that, that they're not trying to create perfect children they're trying to show perfect parenting totally so it's a validation for themselves really yeah and which is why they're why they create a new generation of people who are all looking for validation so what if you are parenting a child using these strategies that you've created and your child has a completely different personality type to you (laughs) so for example you're not artistic but they might be or as we were talking about aesthetics Mm. A child might it might bother a child if, if aesthetics aren't uh, pleasing for them, whereas a parent might not even see that, and a child would never be able to articulate it, right? Yeah. So that that is like that's a lot of the tantrums that you see, and like Mary Montessori did a lot of work on that because there's an awful lot of routine and structure mm. to her environments, and she showed that children, particularly before the age of four, actually really love that order, mm. um, and that everything sort of um, articulating for them that when things were right, it was when things were in the right space and done in the right way. Mm. Um, so, But we seem to have taken that to a whole other extreme for kids in mm. other ways. Mm. And there is, like, it, it's funny, like, because you will have very different personalities. There is the kid who will always worry about their new shoes and not getting them wrecked. That mm. was me. And mm. um, there's the kid who has to stamp through the puddle. Okay. Yeah, so there is, there's very different people, and it's a sense of letting them be themselves, rather than some wading in and going, oh, you got your wellies dirty, I have to wipe those down now. But surely you can't use the same model of parenting on both children, on children that are so different then. Well, the ones that really care about their new shoes won't walk through the puddles, so they'll be fine. And they'll probably express an interest in having something cleaned. And they might even be the opposite in that they'll worry about, oh, I, I spilled something on my top. And it's up to the parents to really say, oh, it doesn't matter, it'll be fine, it'll come out of it. It's no big deal. Hmm. So there's an element of that too, where if a child is very worried about their possessions and their things, that you do offer them reassurance that it's no big deal. Okay, so it's really understanding your child. Totally. Okay, and in in the scenario that you talk about, uh, the smudge, the disappearing smudge, yeah, <laughs> no no one knows where it's gone. But um, what kind of effect does that have on a child? Um, because obviously that process is going to continue. Parents aren't going to change that process because they don't see a problem. Mm. So how, how, how does this child grow from small child into um, adolescent? Well, I think kid? one of the things that I see a lot is this need to prove themselves and this obsession with um, having to be brilliant at everything, never making mistakes, um, really putting themselves under pressure in school and um, not trying things being very contained and not able to try stuff because oh, oh I might get it wrong um, so yeah and, and just people pleasing and looking for validation and oh I don't know how if I, if I did that well enough mm. Um, mm. so yeah that's basically what we're trying to do and could part of that not be to kind of for parents to kind of look at themselves and kind of say to themselves like it's okay for me not to be a perfect parent too yeah because and, and to stop worrying about what the other people in the cafe thought if she mm. had a smudge in her face. Mm. Like, there was a real sense that day for me that he wanted to show that, um, that he was left in charge of the kids and actually they were okay. 
and, and that they were perfect by the end of it. So it was, again, more about him? It was all about him. Okay. So what advice would you give to parents who are um, trying to create perfect children? Well, maybe stop and pause in your head and think, does it really matter? Is it, does, is it really a big deal? Um, what does my kid need to be happy? And Do, that'll be a very different answer for a lot of different parents yes, based on their yeah. children's personalities yeah. then. Totally. Okay. But you will know the answer. Hmm. Well, I suppose, I suppose you would because your child gives you the answers, your child's personality really. Yeah, because yeah, you, you live with them and you, and you yeah. know what they're like and what they dislike. And um, the other side of this, like the voice that we speak, um, interestingly, it's a lot of parents who complain to me about this, about, um, you know, teachers and other environments. This condescending tone that adults adopt to talk to children, which I find very strange. Like, I, I treat everybody that I meet as an adult. I know that's an odd thing for a lot of people, but for me, it's a respects thing. So I don't alter how I speak to people. Mm. And if I use a word that they don't understand, um, they ask me what that means and I explain it in a different way. And I'm not condescending when I do that. It's kind of like, and I'll try to give someone an example and go, oh, do you understand it now? And they'll go, yes, you know. Mm -hmm. um, and I do change the language in when I write my reports for the younger children so that they can hopefully understand them. It's, it's this difference that when you see somebody, when somebody naturally treats a child with respect, the first thing that they always do is that they bend their physical height and they come down in height to the child. They don't tear over them and they never, and the people who do that never speak to children in a condescending way. Whereas the people who never come down to a child's level um, quite often do. And I, I remember years ago, I was in an arts environment and there was somebody facilitating a workshop and I think I actually had to leave the room because I couldn't cope with the way that they spoke to the children. Okay. And it was really, it was, it was just degrading and it was offensive. And it's really interesting because some personalities are really driven by that and they really expect respect. It hugely matters to them um, from a very young age, whereas other people will, will not notice it and let it drift over their head. But the people who stop going to school or start causing kicking off in school or who answer back or who go, that wasn't fair or you shouldn't have said that, those people are the people that those that pick up on those condescending tones. Mm. Um, and quite often they're then labelled as troublemakers, even though they're not. Um, they've just picked up, they have, I suppose, a higher emotional intelligence at a younger age to be able to pick up on the subtleties of if your tonality of when you're speaking to me like that means you, you disrespect me. Mm -hmm. And not everybody is able to pick up on that. Okay. Um, and, and they will object to it. Okay. In terms of parents as well, how they speak to their children. Yeah, but I, I think this is something that I notice that happens, and, and most parents will say that talk to me about it. It's mm. something that happens external from home, okay. and it happens with, with people. And I think really that the reason that they, that they do it, it comes back to this, um, this sense of the way that I can be in control myself mm. of this environment and, and have a power mm. is by, by behaving in this way. A, um, a lot of people in those environments have a fear of actually coming down to the level of the people that they're working with. Mm. And they don't realize that actually, if you do come down to that level um, and you treat people with respect, that it's a two way process, mm. that if you dish out respect, that you will get it back. And then you mm. will no longer need to control or have power in that environment. You're not mm. going to lose control because mm. the people respect you. And the engagement would be different then. Totally. Yeah. They, they would engage on a different level then, uh, both to each other. 
Yeah, yeah, and, and, and you're not going to end up with the friction and the aggro mm. and you're not going to end up with the situations to diffuse. Mm. But a lot of people get themselves into that vortex of needing to diffuse something. Okay, and so that could be the fear. The fear is around something that's going to kick off or how a child is going to react and they're ready for it. They're taking the authoritarian role. Yeah, and, they, and they've, actually, they've actually created the situation themselves mm. by the way that mm. they've behaved. Okay. Rather than diffusing it. Okay. Happy to leave that there? Totally. Yep. Goodbye. Thank you.